Welcome back to Embrace the Chaos. Burning Man 2022 is right around the corner. It's so close, you can almost feel the dust. And for those of you not going, I feel your pain. This time of year is not easy. On this episode, I'm joined by the man from Mayo, John Walsh. And whether you're going to Burning Man this year or not, hopefully this podcast hits the spot. John made his pilgrimage to his first burn during Build Week 2013, where he worked as an electrician on the lighting of the Celtic Chaos Castle and was instantly hooked and has done every build and takedown since. John was instrumental in the creation of the Mushroom Dome adorned with LEDs and also has a fondness of giving people private tours in the scissor lift. John is also our resident Banksy expert and Natasha the Queen of Chaos says John is one of the most charismatic and memorable members of the Celtic Chaos family. Lead builders such as Barry and Colm love to work alongside John because he brings the crack and the banter as well as a solid work ethic. Join myself and John as we embrace the chaos. We are currently recording your podcast in County Mayo in a town called Marisk, just outside Westport. So this home of yours built about 100 years ago? That's right, Jet. Yeah, it was the old barracks here. So. A lot of history here. You used to live in San Francisco, right? Yeah, that's right. Six years, I think. I came back here two years ago at the start of the pandemic. How did you end up at your first burn? A good friend of mine, Fergal MacDonald, also from Mayo. He had been living over there for a good few years. We ended up working together. I was working in the States on and off. And he told me about Burning Man. I didn't really know a whole lot about And then... He just said to me, look, do you want to come and get involved with it? We're, I need a bit of help. I'm doing some electrical work and it's a party in the desert and it's going to be good fun. So I said, yeah, sure, let's give it a go. I didn't really think too much about it. He just said, look, get a flight to San Francisco and you're going to come and give me a hand. Uh, we're going to set up some lights and electrical work for this camp. And I said, yeah, fine. Didn't really know very much before you went, like? Not a huge amount, no. no. What year was that? That was 2013. I was back in Ireland, but I had been over and back to the States. When I came over, I arrived in San Francisco, met Fergal, and we got to work, basically mm-hmm. getting ready to go. I remember he had bought a camper van for the burn, which became pretty famous in Celtic Chaos. Well, it was called a Sun Raider was the name okay. of it. And we started to kit that out and we started to get all our stuff. But I had no idea before I came over the gravity of what was involved in going. I probably just didn't do a whole lot of research into it. I just took his lead and his advice and followed what he said. And so I had no idea what you needed to do and how much of a an undertaking it was to go, but he just said, get a flight to San Francisco. So I turned up. And you and trusted him, obviously. I trusted him, yeah, of course I did. And yeah, he was true to his word, he had everything ready. So myself, himself, and our dearly beloved uh, Bertie, we headed off in convoy up to Black Rock City in the camper van and his work van with all our gear. And away we went, and, and that was it. The rest is history. The rest is history, yeah. I think it's pretty cool for your very first burn to go in and do the build. Most people I've spoken to, they'll go in, they'll be there once or twice, and then they'll be like, I want to get involved and I want to build something. But to go Mm. in and build on your first burn, that's pretty cool. When you arrive, there's nothing there. So you watch the whole city being built. I was very lucky to be brought in like that. I had Mm. no idea what I was getting into. And when you arrive, 
yeah, you're just blown away. I think that year maybe we arrived on the Wednesday. So there was starting to see signs of life. There was certain things there. By and large, it was pretty empty. You drive in, we got there, of course, the usual breakdowns and fiascos along the way. Eight or ten hours behind schedule leaving San Francisco anyway. So we get there and it's maybe four or five in the morning and it was... Pitch black? Yeah, just starting to maybe get bright. I remember it was windy and pretty dusty when we arrived in. There was a bit of a dust storm and you get to the gate and the greeters are there and you have to do the whole dust angels and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And then you're driving in along it and you've been driving at this stage for whatever, eight or ten hours and you're really excited. And you're just driving into it and taking it all in and looking at all of the stuff going on this big equipment moving around and going holy moly what the hell is going on here and what address were you at that year i think we were at 10 and e maybe it was pretty cool actually it's a long drive from the gate to 10 as well like it feels like it takes forever oh yeah Yeah. you're going all the way across yeah for sure yeah it took a very long time to get there but once you do it's fabulous if you got there at about four or five a.m did you immediately just have a drink and get amongst it for a little bit or no not at all we arrived and we pulled in and by the time we got around to and located our crew they were starting to get up and we literally got out of the van and i think the first thing i was met was a big semi-trailer there and mal bruce was there unloading scaffold <laughs> loads and loads of heavy scaffold and we just jumped in started unloading this trailer and and just went at it and got stuck right in got stuck right in yeah yeah back then that year there was a, not a huge build crew i want to say there was only maybe like 10 of us but I'm, i can't remember exactly but um, and it was a big structure that year as well there was a lot of building in it yeah the castle was like let's say it was labor intensive <laughs> it was like it was a lot of scaffolding to put up and then the rest of it was like a wooden structure made out of plywood mm-hmm. and yeah, it was, it was pretty hardcore. And yeah, the lads just worked around the clock. So we'd work from, I don't know, 8am to 1am thing. And, and For how many days then? So it'll be Wednesday through till Sunday then? Yeah, I think Wednesday through till Sunday. And yeah, it was incredible, like the amount that got done in by a, a handful of lads in mm-hmm. a short period of time. There's a will, there's a way. Yeah, And if exactly. there's a good time to be had, we'll yeah. definitely make sure we have it. So I'd say that was the incentive as well. Yeah. For a camp to build such a big structure in their first year, I think is incredible. Then from your first burn, do you recall what was the very first thing that you saw? The first thing that made your jaw dropper? Yeah, actually I can. I remember uh, the day before the gates opened, myself and Fergal and Bertie were putting up all the lights. So we had all these LED lights all around the edge of the castle to make a profile of it. The green ones? Yeah, the green ones, yeah. We had been climbing around doing that for a few days and I remember on the Saturday being up in the peeps or up in the turrets of the castle. So up pretty high, you know, 20, 30 feet up and just looking out and seeing this mad city just alive in front of me. I could see like flames shooting up, kind of art cars starting to go by, just lights everywhere. Whereas a couple of days before that, there was nothing there. It was just a desert, it was gray. And then all of a sudden it's just alive, it's throbbing and you look out at it and to see it just come together like that and appear before your eyes, it was pretty cool. Yeah, I definitely remember that. Because the scale of it is just astronomically big. And the amount of effort that people put in is astounding. And like when you see it and you see everything just going off, like there's so much to look at. 
But I think as well, whenever I first arrived, it was like evening and it went into night. I don't have a clue where I am. So it was really like nighttime. And I was like, wow, wow. Then when I woke up the next morning, everything was so different. I was like, where were all these places that we were? I was like, this isn't the same place that I was. And I couldn't understand it. And then it, when I seen it happen again, I was like, right, now I understand it. But it just transforms and it changes and it does take your breath away. And it's hard to fathom how much work goes into it. We just had an event at the weekend and on a much smaller scale, obviously, but the amount of work that goes on behind the scenes, people never actually understand what it takes to do it. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. I guess a lot of people are used to maybe going to kind of music festivals and stuff like that, where they just take it for granted that, that some sort of a crew has been hired in to, to build it and put it all on. And they don't realize that at Burning Man, it's a different ethos and a different scenario where everyone that's there is doing it out of love for the experience and as a gift and a part of the community. The effort that goes into it is is immense, really, to be honest. It's immense. What's my gift in real life? That's the gift that I'm going to bring. Mm. Is it that I'm an electrician, a musician, like the violinist? I think she said she does seven gigs over the week. And I was like, that's a lot. Like She was yeah, but that's my gift. That's what I give. I think if you go as part of a crew, you're way more invested in it and you've got a sense of ownership of it. And yeah. so then the work element of it is, that's what you've signed up for. Mm -hmm. That's all part of it too, I think. And after you build, you have to do shifts during the week then? We had a kind of a core group from San Francisco that would take on camp manager roles or whatever, and we would rotate in and out where, so you would take one shift for the week where you would just, you know, Manage things for the day. Yeah, just to, more so just to be there and just to be present in case anything happens or whatever. Restock the bar and just to be able to answer questions and people will have questions. The people that are working the bar will have questions and stuff like that and just to know kind of the lay of the land. That's really about it. And then it depends. There's always stuff that has to be done on a daily basis. Yeah, there's always uh, little blips here and there uh, and yeah. things that crop up and things yeah. that need fixed. Yeah, the desert is a pretty harsh environment. Stuff is going to break, stuff's going to fail, there's going to be... And the decks repairs. just be covered in dust, like oh, something yeah. just like this thick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's always, there's always that sort of stuff. I mean, it, yeah, it's tough on equipment and the body, yeah. What do you think was like maybe like your worst catastrophe that you had to fix? Like where you were just like, oh my God, and you were called in? Oh God. There's probably a few. The, I guess the some of the light pieces that we did, like the mushroom dome and stuff mm -hmm. like that, that gave problems a few times where yeah. electrical stuff would go wrong or the lift that was on might, might have gone wrong and stuff like that. We ran out of diesel for the generator. That was that was an interesting one. Billy went and sorted it out as usual. But yeah, that that was a bit of a moment. One year, Crow was not happy about that because our sound system went down. Yeah, yeah, but that was right at the start. But that's the whole beauty of it. It's mm -hmm. It is just one kind of problem solving. solving. Yeah, exactly. And that's what it's all about. Yeah. It's about adapting and just making it work in the end. Yeah. And it's teamwork as well, because everybody does pull together to make it work in whatever way that they can. Yeah. The thing is, everybody is out of their comfort zone there. Just by the environment you're in to begin with, like you're out of your comfort zone. So everything is a little bit more difficult if you're when you're Irish and you have Irish skin like for a start like you're getting <laughs> bloody scalded all the time so yeah uh, you're you're always struggling to just to get by and just to get things done but and then you add in the heat and 
And at Celtic Cares, what time does the music start at every day? Is it like five or six? Usually or? five or six, yeah. And it goes on till? It depends, but usually between six and nine in the morning, yeah. Yeah, so that's yeah. a long run of DJs as well to manage set after set and the transitions and the timings. It always runs fairly smooth. The lads, Crow and Dahi, Jordan and Alan Thomas and all the boys that set up the DJ lineups, they have it pretty well dialed in. And to be honest, a lot of the DJs are are looking forward to playing. They want to play around on a big rig. And it's a pretty big sound system. Yeah, it's an amazing sound, to be honest. Crow really took pride in that. Yeah. Like, super pride in it. And the boys, the Showtech lads that would come up from Texas and bring the rig up for us every year, they just, they're unreal. They really are, like, the best in the business. They dial it in. Every day they're out there dialing in the sound before we get going and oh yeah oh yeah they're out there it's uh, it's kept really well tuned and like the sound like that's one of the major points of pride that we had is that people would often come up and compliment how good the sound is and stuff yeah. like that if you're into music it's just non-negotiable the quality of the sound just is epic there oh yeah like it's it's paramount and it sets you apart from everyone else yeah and i think a lot of the djs that come they know the system that's there and they want to play on that system how many birds mm. have you been to now in total i've been to five and this will be your sixth this will be the sixth did you built every time that you went yeah i did yeah okay take down as well yeah fair play yeah. to you how do you think burning man has changed your life in a number of ways i think the uh, number one like kind of the the sense of community that you get from it obviously i've developed amazing friendships out of it i've got celtic chaos it is it really is like a family yeah very important to me a big part of your life big part of my life and then in a broader sense after the first one i thought to myself this kind of restores your faith in humanity because mm -hmm. it's such a kind of a surreal experience and to me it felt like what could be possible if you set up a colony on another planet <laughs> with no money and no problems and just people trying to get on with each other and trying to do right by each other so i think it it shows you how good people can be and what's possible it gives you hope basically yeah i think that's how it changed me and ambition as well and ambition yeah so this weekend we brought a little bit of what we've experienced at burning man to county mayo and we had a little party on the beach probably one of the best weekends i've had in a number of years and it's great whenever you can bring that type of experience to people when they see the generosity of spirit, the ethos that we create, and that mm. is a beautiful thing to do. That's what it's all about. Actually, going back to my first experience at, at Burner Man, then I realised after going a couple of times, and Fergal, who brought me the first year, he said to me that after, because he had been a bunch of times, even before he brought me, like loads of times, and he, he told me that after a while, you, you get a real buzz out of bringing people to it that that was that's the kick you get out of it is to share it with other people who haven't been there before who are going to enjoy it and are going to contribute to it and who where it will really make a difference to them and then i did that once or twice as well i brought over a couple of friends and just to see the way that they react to it and the experience they have and i guess this weekend what we did over here in a way was similar where you just show people what's possible if a bunch of people get together and just have a good kind of a drive and a good common goal and that we certainly did and a lot of people came together and played some beautiful music everybody shared their skills yeah, yeah. we had chefs farmers yoga yeah. teachers <laughs> 
light work, a big fire. It yeah. was just absolutely astounding. It was yeah. one of the best weekends. Yeah, it was actually it was a great weekend, to be honest. And to be able to share some of the learnings and some of the values that we mm. were shown by people over in Nevada and to be able to just lead the way for a few people over here that maybe never experienced anything like it. I guess it's just a different way of doing things that you're just not used to that over here. Like in, in Ireland, people are used to going to commercial festival. It's a different ball game altogether totally where, where you don't have ownership of it. If you give people a bit of responsibility and just give them a little bit of guidance, then it's amazing what they'll come up with. It's very easy for things to unravel when you get there. One of the principles of Burning Man is civic responsibility. You've got a responsibility to take care of each other and you do have to keep your wits about you. I was thinking about it today like that. All the briefs that Crow would give after dinner, drumming it into you about kind of safety and responsibility and looking after each other and all that sort of stuff. When you're running an event, you know that you've got a duty of care and a responsibility to everybody that's there. You probably picked up quite a lot of that from Crow and watching how he would run things and always have his eye on everything because you do have to watch everything all at once. You have to stand back and it does mean that you can't participate quite so much. You're still present. You're also a little bit tired from all the mental energy that it takes. Then setting it up, that takes an awful lot of work as well. Even in yeah. Burning Man, like, it's so much work and you don't want to burn yourself out doing that. Do you find that when you go in for the burn, it exhausts you or exhilarates you? Yeah, it depends. One or two years, I definitely felt pretty exhausted after the burn week where uh, it was just incredibly hot. I remember by the end of the build week, yeah, I was pretty, pretty tired. I just felt like I'd been through the ringer. You couldn't even go out during the day. You had to stay indoors, but during the build, yeah. you have to. And Celtic Chaos being what it is, we never do things the easy way. I, that year in particular, I remember an awful lot of camps would work at night time. Yeah, some camps do their takedown all at night as well. Yeah, for that year, a lot of camps were just were working at night time. Basically, we didn't have the lights and all that sort of stuff to do. So we were working, it was like mad dogs and Irishmen go out in the midday sun. That was particularly hot. And we were asked, uh, we got involved with the guys from the Tree of Tenere, that, yeah. that amazing sculpture. And uh, a few of us went over to help them essentially build the base structure that it was built on and do all the mm -hmm. carpentry and all that sort of stuff. And that was in between doing our own build or whilst doing our own build as well. So we ended up over there during the day when it was super hot and yeah, I remember that was a particularly hot one, yeah. Grueling. Whereas yeah. everybody else can just stay inside. The tree of Tenere, absolutely stunning. What was it like to witness it yourself? So Crow, of course, knows everybody or knew everybody on the playa. And somehow he had gotten involved with these guys and they had asked for some help. And it worked out to our advantage in the end because we got connected then with some of the guys to help us with our LED projects and mm -hmm. we were able to build our, our mushroom dome out of that. And did you guys meet TJ at the tree as well? We were about to go over to work on the tree, actually. We were working on our own camp, putting our camp together. So he walked in and was eager to get involved and we were delighted to have him, obviously, and we were delighted to get an extra set of hands. And then all of a sudden, yeah, he was leapt up on top of the structure that we were building and was flying at it. So then we were like, let's, let's go over here and give these guys a hand on this other project. And he was gung-ho for that too. So we went over and that was really special, that was really memorable because to be a part of that Tree of Tenere project, I don't know if did you see I wasn't it? there that year but right. I saw the pictures of yeah, it. Yeah, it was like it was incredible just 
technological kind of a piece to do and just to see it go together and all the bits of it that went together and just to have a small part in it and, yeah. and it was pretty incredible then once it actually lit up and mm-hmm. you saw yeah, they had an orchestra playing under it one evening like a ballet maybe going yeah, there ballet, yeah there was a bunch of DJs obviously played it as well and the structure was incredible you could hold maybe 60 or 70 people in the tree and then inside it then all the data cables and everything all the way like it was incredible I think it had 250,000 programmable LEDs inside in it and yeah it was a pretty impressive uh, piece and that kind of spurred us on and gave us all these ideas about what you could do with lights and stuff like that and we took some of that learnings and brought it into our own that's it because if you see what other people can create and you see what's possible it makes you realize we can do that and we can add that on as well yeah and we also really understood like our own value as well Celtic Chaos one of our greatest strengths has been our ability to build stuff and get mm-hmm. stuff done and our infrastructure and graft and that's the basis of of any camp yeah. and that's where a lot of camps fall down again you can have all the money in the world you can have all the creativity in the world but if you're not able to actually put something together and in a few days and build it on playa then you're screwed our trump card has been that we were set up by basically a bunch of grafters grafters carpenters right. contractors and guys who are able to do stuff and Whereas we're a, we're a minnow in, in terms of our the money we have behind us, but we're able to hold our own and play with the big boys when it comes to, to building stuff. And also we know good music. And we know good music, yeah. <laughs> we've been often asked to come help people to finish off their projects and do little bits and pieces for them because ha- having those kind of skills is a rare thing out in the play. When I was watching you guys over the weekend, build the bits and pieces for the event. I was so proud of you because you just get in there and you just do it and there's no messing about. All pulled together and everybody's skill is just so different, but we all work so hard. Yeah, but it's fun work really, isn't it? Yeah. You know that it's and gonna create so much fun as well. Yeah, and you're like, you're working with people that, that are good crack. Yeah. And you're having a laugh while you're doing it. No. Everybody either knows what to do or ask somebody what to do or just get stuck in. But there's just a sense that everybody is working towards the same goal. It's wonderful to see. Yeah. It's beautiful to see. And then the fire and the lights and everything. And But yeah, that is what makes Celtic Chaos special is the doggedness, the persistence, the pursuit of happiness. We are a traditional kind of Burning Man group. We don't hire in people to do any of our work for us. If we can't make it ourselves, we don't do it for the yeah. most part. And... We just have a resilience as well. There's also the other aspects of Burning Man. So, for example, like going to things like the temple or workshops. It's nice to open yourself up to those other experiences as well. Would you frequently make trips to the temple? Yeah, it varies from year to year. But yeah, definitely I would go there a couple of times every year usually. During the build, I remember a few years ago myself and Barry going over there just to look at it because they're incredible structures like when they're building them and we would always be in awe of the scale and the size of the structure being built and how they were putting it together and the equipment they were using. And the shape. The shape, especially when you see the amount of work that goes into it, like it's incredible. It's like, it's a big structure being built in the middle of the desert to be burnt down a week later. Like it's bonkers really when you think of it. And then I would go over maybe once or twice during the week sometimes, but it's a weird kind of a place in that 
there definitely is a, a very distinct kind of an atmosphere when you go in and it's completely different than the rest of the playa because everything else is fun and then you go over there and there's an aura in there which is definitely unique it's so strong as soon as you go in and you can feel the collective feeling from all the people that are in there and you really feel the emotion within the place you can see people having the best of time and having a smile but People are absolutely dying inside as well, so they can actually mm. bring that there and release it. I met the temple crew after Crow's funeral in San Francisco, yeah. And they showed me the designs of it, and we met them all in the pub on Haight Street, and they showed us the design for the altar for Crow. One of my most favourite gifts from Burning Man was I went to the temple on the Saturday before it was closed down to be burnt this woman her present to me was like this little vial it said the name of the temple on it and it had all temple dust in it i thought that was such a beautiful gift tell us about some of the gifts that you've received that have stuck out to you there's been there's loads of them one particular thing that, that kind of sticks out to me is that i was we were going around the back streets one evening it was a cold night and it was getting late and we were kind of tired and just at a kind of a crossroads and it was pitch black and out of nowhere this person just appeared with two pizzas, two boxes with a pizza in each of them, like hot, fresh mm -hmm. pizza, and just handed it to us like, here, would you like pizza? A and burger it was like, pizza. I was like, this is just absolutely perfect. It was just the right thing at the right time. Mm -hmm. But That often happens? Yeah. And then the other one was, we were out deep playa one night, and I remember some guy gave me a, a pair of socks, which which I still have today, and there were Seinfeld socks, which <laughs> I thought were really cool. I've been keeping them for a special occasion. Do you like Seinfeld? You never watched Seinfeld, no? Do you want to know how you're getting old? Why? I watched it recently, and Kramer was attractive. And I was like, oh, I'm getting old. A pair of Seinfeld socks. Brand new. <laughs> class. They're just class. I just fucking love them. I wore it last night for the first time ever. Was that their first outing? Yeah. <laughs> that was their first outing. Yeah. And then, yeah, I've picked up a bunch of really nice little trinkets. And oh, I got a patch one time, which was pretty cool. Myself and my buddy Paddy Letty that, that came over from Ireland for the burn. It was his uh, his first time. And we went cruising around the kind of the back streets and the, the smaller bars and stuff like that one night. And we were in this little bar and we were chatting to this guy. And uh, however it came up in the conversation, Paddy and this guy were talking and uh, a Star Trek reference came up or something. And the guy said to Paddy, oh, are you into Star Trek? And Paddy said, oh, yeah, I'm into blah, 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 whatever. I'm not into it, but he... They, anyway, so they started talking Star Trek speak. And the guy just said to him, come out here and I'll, come here and I'll show you the disc yoke out here. And we're like, all right. So the three of us just trundled out the back of this little bar. And uh, the guy had a, a like a full-size replica Star Trek shuttle no. built outside. Yeah, yeah, and it was like, exactly looked like a real one, and we got into it, it had all the control panel and everything, and that just absolutely blew our minds. And they gave us, he gave us a, a patch, like a Star Trek kind of crew badge or whatever, with a burning man with a twist to it and stuff like that. I still love that as well. So that was pretty cool. Too. And he was hiding it out the back the whole time? It was just hidden. It was just parked at the back of the pub. It's talking about Star Trek and next thing, yeah, he has an actual shuttle. That's the stuff uh, there, It's mental. Like, yeah. On one of my first nights, I got a compliment that always stood with me. I was super happy. I was over in playground and somebody came over to me and said, I wish you could see the smile on your face right now. Right. And I was just like, because I, I knew I was happy. It was such a beautiful experience and 
Um, I'm trying to think of any other gifts that I've gotten. The box of champagne, that was epic. The gift of friendships that I've received. I think one of the best gifts I got was a couple of vitamin B12 injections and an IV drip. That was just superb. I loved that. It was exactly what I needed to just be rehydrated from the inside out. Like, was uh, that? It was a great camp. We went there on the Saturday and it was absolutely epic, but so unassuming. They made us fresh margaritas with ice in glasses and salted rims. Wow. I got my playa name there. They helped us make a sign. What is it? Sweet as fuck. What's yours? I don't have one. The next thing that we got was vitamin B12 injections. It's Where was this, you say? At a bar? Yeah, it was at two o'clock. At the bar, though? Yeah, out the back of the bar. Out the back. They had a really, really nice DSLR, and I was taking photos for him. And there was a DJ just sitting on a chair, unassumingly, just playing us tune after tune. And we had an absolute blast. I was bouncing back to life. I could feel my eyes expand. She put two full bags in me in the same time that she put one into Siobhan. And then Willie and TJ came back with cacao. And it was just like a whole ritual. And it was, uh, yeah. Those small bars down the back are the best. Yeah. They're hidden gems. Down the side streets and the back streets. That's what we don't do. And so many people are attracted to the big main attractions and you have to learn that there's just so many things on every corner and every street. And It was great crack to be had in those small bars. You really do have to be observant and keep your eyes opened and find those little surprises and those little gems. One of the gifts that I wear the most, it's nothing fancy, just a simple like red bracelet and it had the evil eye on it. Because I was enjoying myself so much, it just brings me back to that moment. You know, it's a valid point that people who come camp with Celtic Chaos, like, their gift to the playa is Celtic Chaos. They're paying for Celtic Chaos. You know, people should consider that their gift to the playa, that, like, we're providing this, made possible by the people camping with us. I'm wondering how many people actually passed through Celtic Chaos in that week. Oh, like, we would have had... On those big nights in 2019, we were pumping. Let's say when... Patrick Topping was... Patrick Topping, when the Desert Hearts yeah. boys were there. Have you seen the videos? Of, and you, like thousands, maybe four or five thousand people there. I don't know. Mobbed. Oregon okay. City, when they played. That was 19 as well. Yeah, that was mobbed. When DJ Dan played. Uh-huh. That was the Paddy's Day. That was fucking mobbed as well. And even the lesser known names, they were just playing the most beautiful tunes and building the dance floor because everybody passes mm. they slow down for a bit there's so many options yeah. like Jesus when Carl Cox played that time God knows how many people was there thousands there there must have been I presume everyone else feels the same way that if we are supplying this soundstage to the playa that costs mm-hmm. 100 grand or whatever to do and that's made possible by the people who camp the contribution the fundraising everything yeah and the camp fees is what pays for everything every person that stays with Celtic Chaos is contributing to building the festival and something on the Esplanade where you have a bar where there's thousands of people per day passing by and stopping by and coming up for a drink and when you're and just the sheer scale of the stage and everything and what it costs to to put it on and to run it and even to bloody power it like even to pay for the bloody diesel for it and the haulage as well Everything like and, and now this year obviously that's a lot more of a challenge because since two years ago everything has shot up in price. Look at the costs and obviously materials and stuff for building, but you have just haulage and yeah. everything in general has gone up. So the cost of putting on a camp like ours on main costs, its equipment and logistics and all that sort of stuff is huge. So your first burn you went from Ireland. Yeah, then that was 
pretty much the reason I moved to San Francisco. I moved to San Francisco about six months later. So it had that big of an impact on you? Yeah, it was like, I just thought to myself that this is an incredible community and group mm -hmm. of people and I want to be close to this, I want to do it again. And uh, it blew my mind, so yeah, mm -hmm. that was a, definitely a factor for moving over there. And you'd made a few friends there as well? I had one or two friends, then made a lot more. And So then every year after that I went from San Francisco. How do you decompress after Burning Man? What's your sort of go-to? Afterwards, I usually stop off for the standard night or two in Reno, mm -hmm. get a shower, yeah. attack the all-you-can-eat buffet, yeah. and then hit the pool, and yeah, that was, that's pretty fun. Yeah, because you continue to burn, but you're clean, which is epic. There's no shower oh, like amazing. that shower. There is no shower like that shower, and to see the amount of dirt that goes down the drain is incredible. <laughs> so, John, when you leave Burning Man, and then you leave Reno, and all said and done, what would be your top tips for a smooth re-entry into the default? It depends. One year I went straight back, actually drove, I think the first year, myself and Bertie drove straight back afterwards. Not to be recommended. Yeah, I think a stop off on the way is a good way to do it. Essential. Essential, yeah. But yeah, it's not, it's not as bad as you think. It's absolutely awful. <laughs> what are you talking about? I generally, we meet up with the Celtic Chaos crew in the week afterwards and the people will be staying around for a while and stuff like that. You're still buzzing from the experience that you've just had? Yeah, you're, you're buzzing for a week or two afterwards, really, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So you pretty much just slot back in? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. That's a skill. The marathon, not a sprint. Do you find that you pace yourself? Or have you been known to jump the gun? I guess it's different every time, isn't it, really? But, yeah, I can I can definitely stick the pace. I think the key is, as long as you make sure and sleep every night, eat plenty of grub, drink plenty of water, mm -hmm. plenty of electrolytes. Take care of yourself? Yeah, basically, yeah, you'll be all right. Yeah. Plenty of sunblock as well. Oh, yeah, that, that stuff, the Oralite, when we pull into Reno and, and stock up on our water and all that sort of stuff, I always buy loads of that Dioralite. It's the ticket. That's the tickets, yeah. Yeah, and you need to replenish yourself in absolutely every yeah. way. First first thing in the morning, mm -hmm. bottle of Dioralite, loads of electrolytes. The lads were over from Ireland in 17 or whatever, mm -hmm. we were at 8 and K, and uh, the guys who were in the Irish Defence Forces Army, they had rehydration packs, and so little first aid packs mm -hmm. for everyone in the morning where we had like the rehydration salts and the brilliant food bar and all that sort of stuff. Like so little sachet things yeah, that they have? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that was ace. Do you have a cutoff for yourself or do you...? It depends. On the Sunday night, there's a couple of art cars that kind of ring together, not far from Celtic Chaos, a few streets back. That's usually a decent party. But yeah, the takedown is always looming and yeah, in the heat can be tough. Oh yeah, it's excruciating, I'd say, at times. Yeah, but you know yourself, the sense of achievement afterwards when you're like, okay, I know now what I can endure <laughs> because <laughs> you definitely push yourself harder than you ever have physically before anyway. And mentally. Yeah. Uh, and it does take time to recover as well. It's physically quite demanding. Oh yeah, like on the takedown days when it's really hot, you're physically, you're pretty tired like at that stage. Mm -hmm. You're burnt out. And you're burnt out and you're just burnt to bits. Like you're just <laughs> literally, yeah. it's tough. I was actually surprised that I even actually got through it a few times. You yeah. Know? You don't think you're going to be able to. I didn't think I was going to be able to mm. until I hatched my plan. What was the plan? To cook in the kitchen and do it to the best of my ability. <laughs> oh, I didn't see, but it was actually quite a rewarding plan because at the end of it, when we had dinner that night. Oh, the feed was good after that. That was 
those days are tough. They're the toughest mm. days work you'll ever do. But yeah, your the sense of achievement afterwards is immense. It's gas. Like over the last few years, it's always been the same. A lot of the same guys that come back every year. So it's the same kind of crew of us. A few coming, a few going, and we just slot back in together again every year and, and go through the torture again. It's gas. I think the takedown days are probably the mm-hmm. toughest bits for sure. Yeah. Definitely the takedown is the hardest. Do you have a most memorable moment of all time? We've had a bunch of weddings, but really good friends of mine get married out there. Did you ever get married out there? I got married out there too, of course I did. And Colin and Pierre and I was involved in officiating their ceremony out there, so that was pretty special. And on the same day, Carl Cox played at Icelandic Chaos mm-hmm. the, when we had the Enchanted Kingdom, and that was a pretty special moment. Carl Cox belting out the tunes, tricolor behind him, yeah. I don't think I'll ever forget that either. That was pretty cool. Yeah. And it's the energy of it as well, because it's like evident everywhere you look, people are smiling and happy and dancing. And yeah. That was an incredible day. One of the first big crowds that we had Mm -hmm. at the playa. After that, then it just started to kind of grow. Any other DJs that have really stood out for you? Yeah, loads of them, actually. There's (laughs) just been tons of sets that have been absolutely killer. The end-to-end sunrise sets are fabulous. Yeah. Really, they're pretty unique as well. Ten best uh, sets at Burning Man. Yeah. Did you see it? Yeah. It was wild. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah, yeah. Two years. That was a very special morning. Yeah. That's one that definitely stands out for me as well. Yeah, one violin girl played as well. That was pretty good. Did you happen to see that? I seen it in the second year, but it's beautiful to see that at sunrise. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Have you ever DJed? No, not really. When I was younger, a little bit. Have you ever done a shift in birdies? Oh, yeah, loads of them. Yeah, that's... How'd that go? That's great crack. I think it's one of the highlights of the week. In fairness, for a bar that's given free booze all week, it's always kept pretty well stocked. And there's always, like, a decent variety as well. It's a great job to have. Yeah, it (laughs) really is. Helping people out, they're delighted. Everybody's happy. And it's five or six deep, and you're, like, trying to get through everybody and while they go and have the best dance of their life. Yeah, so I think this year there's going to be more of a focal point on Bertie's bar. We're going to extend out the shade to make it more comfortable. Podrick is some man behind the bar. He is amazing behind the bar. Oh, he's so good at it and he's so happy to do it and bring so much energy to it as well. Yeah, and do it for days on end. He does it for joy, like. They're super nice drinks. Yeah, you're mad. I couldn't believe it when I tasted them through the night out. Is this at the Mayo? Yeah, the Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're dishing out. There's like some tequila and... There was margaritas. Mar- sort of margarita. Yeah. And there was espresso martinis. And they were absolutely gorgeous. Such a treat to have. Yeah, for sure. The year after Bertie passed, we made that bar. I was in Indonesia. I was in Bali over surfing for a while. There was this bar that I just stumbled upon and it was made out of a shipping container like that. And so then when I came back... I suggested that we make a bar out of a shipping container because then we can just load it on a truck and drop it on the playa. It looks cool and no building whenever you get there, which is great. And then on top of Birdie's Bar, there's like a platform where you can get up nice and high and have a really good view of A, the dance floor, and then a full 360. Yeah, it's cool up there. Now that it's been uh, secured a bit better. Health and safety I've seen. It's a little bit suspect for a while. Do you think the castle will ever come back? No. It was labour intensive. Yeah, I was delighted to see it go really, to be honest. So much work involved in the bloody thing. What do you think makes Celtic Chaos different from other camps? I think, apart from other camps, like there's 
loads and loads of different types of camps, obviously, but what makes us different from the other big soundstage camps along the, along the Esplanade is that we're probably one of the only amateur groups in it. And I think we're definitely well able to hold our own. I think we're playing. With the pros. <laughs> yeah. And we're a bunch of amateurs, really. Apart from the, the show tech guys who do the sound, but the rest of us are not. And probably most of the other camps have a lot of money behind them as well. Uh-huh. We really do embody the true kind of spirit of Burnham. I definitely agree. I'm certainly proud of that anyway, that we were able to hold our own and put on entertainment and a show for the playa that's on par with other camps that are probably, but definitely are spending millions. Yeah. And we're doing it for... For the love. Well, for as cheap as possible <laughs> or whatever we can, whatever we can, we can rustle together and whatever our campers yeah, pay. Yeah. And it's always such a great position. Like that spot is just fabulous. Yeah, and the fact that Burning Man give us a placement there consistently... Says it all. It says that they obviously respect what we're doing as well, which is great. The beautiful thing about Burning Man is that you can't buy your way into to a placement, I think, anyway. There's a lot of people with a lot more, probably, money and equipment mm-hmm. and staff than mm-hmm. we have. You're not supposed to have staff. That's what I mean. John Walsh, how do you embrace the chaos? You embrace the chaos by being prepared and expecting it. Once you leave San Francisco, the chaos starts. Generally, most of the time when I go up, there's some sort of a drama on the way, like maybe a breakdown, a flat tire, something like that. That's before you've even gotten to the place. And you learn to come to expect it and just roll come with to it. Expect it. It's all part of the experience. You know, you, it, yeah, it's not that you look forward to the to the problems. Yeah, afterwards, it all adds to the experience. You feel like you've, you've come through it, you know. You've moved mountains. Exactly. They say from a psychological perspective, that's why people form such close bonds, because they've been through those types of experiences in quick succession together and also have done something meaningful. That's why the relationships progress so fast, because you've had that shared experience on that level, which does make sense. And as well, you could die, says it on the ticket. In terms of being there now this year without growing, you've been working with him on the build since 2013, which is the start of Celtic Chaos. Yeah, it's certainly going to be very strange not to have him on site this year. We've been through this kind of drill six times now, essentially. A lot of the processes and stuff that Crow developed, everybody knows him by now. We always had a fairly standardised way of doing things, as in the layout and that sort of thing. One thing that will stand to us is that Crow used to always emphasise looking after each other was number one and safety that was the main thing that kind of stuck out when he would always give us a briefing or a chat after a meal or halfway during the work day I think that culture will continue on and it will be fine do you ever do workshops when you're there like any holistic workshops no I wish I did though but at the Mayo Burn you had a great holistic experience with a master yogi called UV yeah UV that was awesome actually it was really yeah. it was epic and it was Primarily breathwork. And it's great to be able to go and do those types of things because it's all there at Burning Man. Everything is there for you. If you're working and doing a build and a takedown and you have to do a day as a camp manager, you're only really going to be able to see maybe 10 to 20% of the city in any one year. How much of the city do you reckon you've seen? I don't know. I think on any one year, yeah. You probably pass by a good bit of a hotel experience. Probably, yeah, 20%, maybe 30%. Yeah. It's a huge space. 
it can be tiring as well and then if a dust storm happens and you're on the other side of the plane and you have to like make your way home it's not very easy actually rain is the worst I've been very fortunate see the both years that I was there the weather was absolutely perfect but it gets very cold at night normally but the last year we were there it didn't actually get very cold at night no actually it didn't remarkably warm everybody was raging they couldn't wear their beautiful fur yeah. So fur is definitely a thing at Burning Man. Faux fur, I must say, by and large. And it's very hard because it's so hot during the day and then it gets so cold at night usually. And the fur weighs a ton in your suitcase as well whenever you're coming over from abroad. But it's really nice to see almost like two different climates. Everybody in their full summer clothes, but then also everybody wrapped up and so warm. Do you have a favourite fur? Oh, we used to go down to the, there's a place down there in, in San Francisco on the mission. There's a fabric shop down there. They have every type of kind of fur fabric you can imagine. Uh-huh. You can just buy it by the yard. Yeah. Make up a kind of a cloak type thing myself. You can buy all the like fasteners and uh-huh. buttons and all that stuff there as well. And are you any good on a sewing machine? Or do you have no, so? You don't need to. You just cut it up and then you can buy the like a kind of a liner for the silky stuff for the mm-hmm. inside and you just spray glue it on and away you go. Ingenious. On labour intensive. Nice and airy because you don't have to have your arms inside it. That's what I'm going to do this year actually is go to that place on the mission and just buy a load of fur. It's not going to be the same as anybody else's either. But yeah, I had one that looked like a John Snow cape. Okay, that was just a fucking piece of fabric I bought on the mission. And I bought the liner, it's just like a spandex liner. What colour? Like a gold liner. I just got the spray glue and stuck it on. If you go out dancing at night time and you want to stay out to the morning to a sunrise set, 10 minutes after the sunrise, it gets pretty flipping hot. The temperature rises drastically. Fur coats are not advisable. <laughs> For a cloak, not so bad. Okay, top tip from John Walsh. <laughs> Get yourself a fur cloak. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Embrace the Chaos, which was recorded on the summer solstice over a whiskey and gin. And a huge thank you to my guest, John Walsh, for the huge effort and work that he puts into Celtic Chaos and also his efforts at keeping it lit over here in Ireland. You can follow along with Celtic Chaos on our socials and to get in touch with the podcast, email embracetheceltichaos at gmail.com. I'd love to give a huge shout out to the entire Celtic Chaos crew who are working around the clock at the minute to bring the magic to the playa from the build crew, the DJ team, food, beverages, admin, haulage, it's all systems go and all hands are on deck. Huge round of applause and thank you so much for all the work that you do. Another thank you to everybody who has donated to Celtic Chaos and also the fundraising organisers who have produced events around the globe all in an effort to keep the Celtic Chaos magic alive. Also, the music that you've been listening to in this episode is by Malice and Incas, and the title of the track is Shocking. I had the pleasure of seeing Malice and Incas play live for the first time less than two weeks ago at our Celtic Chaos fundraiser here in Galway, and also a moment of pride where I was on the same bill as them with my debut DJ set. One half of Malice and Incas is John Burke from Claycastle Recording Studios, who volunteers his efforts to master the audio of this podcast all to assist in your audio pleasure final shout out to Gary Burke and Saoirse Kane who get married this weekend in Nina Tipperary we're all gearing up here for a big and beautiful weekend ahead of the burn I'm your host Joe, and until the next time 
Be sure to embrace that chaos out there. <laughs> 